Hello, this is Dan Salton, and you're listening to 3CR Blackfella Radio, Melbourne. And welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, here on the beloved 3CR Airwaves, the show where we tackle the monopoly powers enjoyed by landlords, bankers, and all those privatisations out there that are jacking up our utility bills. So... Over the last uh, six, eight weeks, a lot of behind-the-scenes action has been going on in my world, and one of them has been freaking out about what's been happening in New South Wales. It's not just a mega storm, super storms like we've been watching overnight. We're here in April 2015. We saw on the news uh, last night hurricane-like cloud formations off the coast of Sydney. I wasn't expecting to see that for another 30-odd years, but uh, Sydney's a flood underwater and plenty of property owners are going to be freaking out about what's happened to their property values because of uh, dear uh, Mother Nature. But the other big thing that's been happening is the New South Wales election where a minor party was set up called the No Land Tax Party. And of course, if you've been listening to The Renegade Economist, that is our primary policy plank is trying to channel the property bubble away from the banking system and into uh, the hands of government so that it keeps a lid on the property bubble and it helps to fund the removal of damaging taxes on those of us who actually produce things. Yes, the entrepreneurs, the workers, uh, the consumers. uh, We shouldn't be paying for the uh, governing of the land. Those who own the land, supposedly own the land, should be paying for the running of government. And, of course, we can slide in a few other charges on these privatised monopolies as well. So that's the best-case scenario for the economics profession, as uh, reiterated in recent Treasury paper documents. Uh, nearly every uh, a week there's some sort of international paper saying, look, it's time we got serious about this global property bubble that's re-erupted so soon after the global financial crisis. And uh, today I've invited Chris Martin, the Senior Policy Advisor from the Tenants' Union of New South Wales, who has some rock-solid policy analysis in place. They're very good advocates for land tax, and thankfully they were the ones flying the flag, keeping an eye on what these uh, vested interests were doing. You may remember the ICAC uh, investigation into corruption in New South Wales. So much of it revolved around property sharks trying to bribe politicians and bureaucrats into giving them some sort of golden pen tick, a rezoning favour that would uh, result in a multi-million dollar windfall for their property holdings and uh, they've been lambasted, the, the property lobby. And it seems like their answer was, look, let's just, you know, if we can't bribe the politicians um, underhandedly, let's just fund a really elaborate campaign to uh, knock out the one tax we can't avoid. That's land tax, of course. And so they did all the sort of minor party tricks. They had the, the former topless model on board. They had candidates everywhere they were really well funded and it looked like they were going to get in so let's go to the interview with chris martin senior policy advisor at the tenants union of new south wales i started off by asking him how he came across this no land tax party g'day carl um the tenants union's been interested in land tax reform for a number of years so doing a bit of 
research on land tax and and writing up our our reform land tax policy for the state election. I, I think I just googled land tax, and the first paid ad on the Google page that came up was no land tax. And th- this was late last year that we first saw them with their distinctive campaign site with, with this collection of characters who who were all represented to be members of, of the No Land Tax campaign, all of them making statements about allegedly what land tax was doing to New South Wales. So we wrote up a, a response on our own blog, the, the Brown Couch, addressing the, the, the policy points No Land Tax was making and uh, and, and making the case instead for a a reformed land tax, a broad-based land tax. A little while later, again, just surfing the net, we noticed on The Onion, the the satirical American news website, uh, a familiar face uh, on one of their uh, articles. So so there you were having a bit of a laugh looking at The Onion, as we often do, and um, this uh, feeling of shock or horror came across you. What did you see? Oh, that it's, um, it was one of No Land Tax's purported members. Her, her face was on, on the Onion's website, and we. Wow. Uh, so she's she's a, a, a an actor. A stock photo of an actor was used for both, and and one of my colleagues here tracked down all of No Land Tax's um, purported members. The, the the images of them were, were were all stock photos taken from from Shutterstock. It was a bit of a laugh at the time being able to expose their um, a, a bit of dishonesty in the way they were presenting their campaign but the serious point was that they'd been dishonest in what they were saying about land tax some of the claims they were making were outrageous and just plain wrong but the way they were presenting themselves as this grassroots movement too was 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 dishonest they've actually got a a much narrower constituency than the one they were making out that they had and the one they were appealing to. They've got a much narrower constituency, a much narrower set of interests that, that they're serving uh, being the interests of large property owners who accumulate wealth through unearned gains in the value of land. And so back to this this photo scandal, you did an article, a blog post on it, and soon it went viral, and the next thing you know, it was on the Sydney Morning Herald, and uh, people were laughing at uh, this this misconception this party was trying to push. Yeah, Crikey picked it up, and, and then the Sydney Morning Herald, and both of those, uh, both Crikey and the Herald, continued to follow up no land tax and give them a, a critical look as the election campaign got underway. Uh, no land tax. I mean, they, they were uh, they may have started out as a bit of a joke because of of the way they used the stock photos, but uh, the next next round went to them because they got they got the um, the, the first position on on the on the ballot paper for the upper house in the New South Wales state election. I'm not sure about Victoria. We the New South Wales state election has a we, we have a, a large ballot paper for the, the the upper house with lots of lots of candidates, and that there's always an advantage in, in having the first spot over on the left. That's because of the donkey vote. So they looked like they, they could pick up that they were in the position to pick up the donkey vote, and that that could give them a um, that could have given them a, a, a seat in the in the upper house, and that that was a real worry for us. Uh, as their campaign unfolded, though, their next gambit was that they also stood candidates in 
all of the lower house seats, not local candidates. They, they actually, again, it's a narrower party than that. They, they had a few large property-owning families who contributed candidates. Uh, that, looking at the surnames, about 40% of no land tax candidates were related to one other no land tax candidate, uh, and, and five or six members of, of, of a single propertied family were, were standing in seats scattered across the state. Uh, so that they were they were using that strategy to increase their profile uh, in the hope of an upper house seat too. So they had the money to fund what ninety odd candidates uh, for the lower house in the hope that that would raise their profile so they could get through one or two candidates in the upper house. It sounds yeah, like yeah, uh, uh, ninety. It's a bit under a hundred. Yeah, ninety ninety candidates in the lower house, and then they had another. Then they had their upper house ticket, a full ticket for the upper house. So that, uh, we understand it's about thirty thousand dollars to to nominate that many candidates. About thirty thousand to nominate that many candidates, and then they would have thrown a lot more money into their um, into their core flutes and their posters because they were up all over the place as well. It, it must have been, a, you know, quite a big campaign. Do, do you have any estimates on how many hundred thousand dollars they raised and where some of their their major expenditures were? We know from some of the the required declarations that they had donations from uh, one of the real estate franchises up here, here uh, from the from the Property Owners Association, which is a, a eastern suburbs based organisation that's that's been against tenancy reform and and land tax reform for years, and some of their candidates were a lot of their candidates were either real estate agents or people involved, or they were property owners who, or builders in some cases who'd been asked to, to put up money towards the campaign. There's been some falling out since then about uh, with some of their candidates uh, having been asked to put up money and being reluctant to do so and they fell out with the, the leadership. In terms of that fallout, it sounds like uh, Peter Jones, the colourful leader of the No Land Tax Party, had been ranking candidates according to the amount of money they were donating to the No Land Tax Party. And uh, this led to uh, the previous president, Jeff Madden, resigning in February. Um, it sounds like uh, the treasurer, Patrick DeCosmo, he resigned on Friday after saying he'd been misled by Peter Jones. And uh, it sounds like even the vice president has quit as well. So it sounds like uh, there's been lots of contradictions controversy uh, both internally and externally and we were getting emails from uh, supporters up in New South Wales with uh, the no land tax call flute signs posted around everywhere full of misleading information so it was quite a concern to us. You're listening to Renegade Economists with your host Carl Fitzgerald. On 3CR, let's go back to the interview with Chris Martin from the Tenants' Union. They appear to us to be an unholy union of, of some established eastern suburbs-based landlords, especially those organised in the, the Property Owners Association. And, and they, there were a few candidates and office holders in the party who are also members of the Property Owners Association. And that, for a long time, they've, they've owned property and uh, hotels, boarding houses uh, and other property, particularly in the eastern suburbs. Um, and so that, that group, plus a group from the western suburbs of Sydney of property dealers, 
including Peter James and himself and um, Pat Carboni and, um, and a, a couple of other characters who have been involved in property deals in the western suburbs. So, the, the, as I say, a, 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 a narrow group of who have big interests in property and, and who make their money through property ownership and they don't have an interest in housing affordability. Quite the contrary, they're, um, basically their, their housing policy is to let speculation rip and affordability can go to blazes. And so that, that's why we're worried about them. Well, I'm so happy that you're up there fighting this battle, Chris, because uh, to see that in the 2013-14 financial year, land values in New South Wales increased by a mere... $202 billion, and uh, these guys are complaining about paying 1.2% back to the community to say thanks for providing us all the schools and hospitals and uh, new uh, inner west rail links that are going on in Sydney. Uh, apparently, they shouldn't have to pay for those things that, that really have a direct correlation to the increase in their property values. Uh, how outrageous do you find this that uh, New South Wales has just gone through this whole ICAC investigation still ongoing. A lot of it is related to the the underhanded nature of property developers paying for the golden pen tick for bureaucrats to try and rezone their property and the response to all sorts of people from uh, uh, former coal baron Nathan Tinkler being seen really as just a, a glorified uh, real estate developer, his Newcastle port development and a few other land holdings he had. These guys have turned around, the, the property industry has turned around and said, look, uh, we're getting stung here with ICAC, we can't donate to a, even via a third party group to influence how much uh, money we make. Uh, let's set up our own political party and see if we can take it out that way. Was there much of that sort of conversation relating ICAC to uh, the, this sort of no land tax uh, movement? Some of the candidates for no land tax had relationships with Joe Tripodi and, and other characters who have come under a shadow through ICAC's investigations. The former New South Wales Treasurer, yeah. Some of their candidates also had issues with um, being disqualified from being directors of clubs, dishonestly obtaining building licences. There, there, there were some questions about the character of, the, of, of at least some of their candidates. On, on the other hand, uh, as far as the, the, the broader conversation about land tax goes, yeah, it, it was... No land tax had a, had a pretty naked agenda about relieving property owners of the obligation to pay land tax um, and substituting instead an increased GST that everyone else would pay. That was their, uh, their, their campaign agenda on their website, that everyone else could pay more GST so that wealthy property owners could get a break on their land, on their land tax. We've been having conversations as I say, for, for a few years we've been interested in, in a reformed land tax and uh, broadening the base of land tax and changing the rate structure of land tax to really harness all, all of the benefits of this you know, really uh, sensible way of, of, of taxing unearned gains. And I think more and more people are uh, turning on to that as well. In our conversation with the community sector up here, more and more people are interested in what a reform land tax can do and, and we've been talking to the business sector up here as well, the, the New South Wales Business Chamber 
has shown some interest in tax reform agenda that includes a reformed land tax that has a, a, a broader base and that would replace other taxes that, that really do harm productivity and, and place a, a burden on work and enterprise. So there's, there's as much as no land taxes campaign was a worry, there's also some, I think there's some positives that have come out of the, out of the public discussion and some real rejuvenated interest in reform land tax. Well, let's hope that uh, some of these uh, blatant uh, lies and the controversy that uh, Peter Jones has caused is going to awaken people who should have uh, knowledge about this. And I was concerned that uh, support was higher for the No Land Tax Party in working-class suburbs such as Mount Druitt and Blacktown uh, than in the bastions of wealth and tax deduction uh, uh, in Vaucluse and manly so uh, how do you see that playing out and can we just blame that on uh, the Murdoch press or did they specifically target those working class suburbs look I I think part of it is that some people um, and people who aren't as engaged in politics and economics and some some people who aren't as engaged actually thought that they had a land tax liability and and no land tax and that, that that they were imminently or already uh, liable to pay land tax and that no land tax was, was campaigning to remove this liability that they didn't know about. There was a report during the campaign that the Office of State Revenue up here was fielding a lot of calls from, from worried homeowners that, that they'd have to start, would they have to start paying no uh, land tax soon or did they already have to pay it? There was a bit of a misconception that that may have helped no land tax, that some people may have voted for them thinking that, that there was imminently um, a, a land tax liability that they'd have to pay. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully um, there will be a reform of land tax and it will have a broader base and and people, in, including owner-occupiers, will, will have to pay a, a bit of the value of their property reflecting the unearned increases in it but it'll also come with a a, a further tax reform agenda that deals with stamp duties and and should go further too could should deal with um, payroll taxes and and those other taxes on work and labor that that really do affect you know they they cost jobs and they they um they fine people for having to move house um, those sorts of things I think if those sorts of things can be addressed in a broader tax, state tax reform agenda, hopefully more more people can see the the benefits of of of, of taxation of land values. We're with Chris Martin, senior policy advisor at the Tenants Union of New South Wales, and Chris, uh, you just summarised some of the advantages there. Perhaps we should spend a minute and just try and explain how the mechanics of land tax works. How do you see it really benefiting affordable housing and the productive economy? This is something we've been at, gone to some pains to try to explain to our constituents because a, a, a lot of people, and no land tax made, made this claim as well, a lot of people think that land tax is passed on by landlords to their tenants and so one of the one of the things we go to make make a point of addressing is that because of the way land tax works it can't be passed on to tenants if it, instead land tax because it's it's always liable 
and a, a landlord has to pay it whether they've got a tenant or not. It encourages the landlord to meet the market, to, to get their property let in order to to collect those rents that enable them to pay their land tax liability. So it, it encourages land to be put into use and, and so compared to if there was no land tax, actually has a, a, an effect of getting landlords to, to meet the market and, and you, you have lower rents under a, a land tax regime than, than if there was no land tax. If there was no, think, we, we say to people, think about it this way, if there was no land tax, wouldn't more landlords just do the lazy thing and keep their property, keep their property vacant and not let it and uh, withhold it from the market and get their rewards from from its price going up and 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 in doing so we're drawing it from the market and rents rents will go up as well because there's there's less stock on the market uh, so in in that sense land tax helps uh, it's a it's a little bit of a spur to the owners of land to use their land for for productive purposes whether that's for shelter or for for, for some other purpose that the land might be useful for and here in Melbourne, the capital gains are some three times the market rents available. So uh, there's very little incentive to put that property on the market. And even with land taxes um, as they are at present, uh, it's something like a, a $2,000 charge versus some $60,000, $70,000 a year in capital gains. Um, yep. I, I imagine it's probably even more extensive in... Sydney. We've always admired Prosper's speculative vacancies report, and uh, we've we've looked into doing the same thing in Sydney. But um, as I understand it from talking to Sydney Water, it's they they don't need a water in the same way, so we haven't been able to to uh, copy the the exercise up here, which is a shame. But I I guess the the trouble is that our present land tax system is. So much of the tax base is excluded from, from the tax. So um, uh, it's by land value, it's about 60%, I think the Henry report said, about 60% of the land tax base is in fact excluded from the tax. So that that's in, in particular land use for primary industry and uh, land use for for owner-occupied housing. And, and so uh, th- that exclusion means that... Um, you know, there, there are property owners who who can avail themselves of that exclusion. Uh, that they might have a, a big block on which their own house stands, um, and and so that they're exempt from land tax for that reason. Or they've they've got a few cows, or or the the, the, the latest Queensland lurk is is you have a few bees, uh, erect a beehive on the property, and you call it agricultural land, and it's exempt from land tax. So those those exclusions um, mean that the the spur uh, that the property owners should feel from land tax to to bring their their land to the market and to to put it to use is blunted and it's it's not felt nearly enough by by property owners who who still can in too many instances um, either withhold land from the the market or or use it. Um, lazily or not not put it to its to its fullest use 
and then use their profits to hire some very creative accountants to ensure they avoid paying any tax at all. And the yeah. whole point with land tax is that you can't hide land. So uh, that would ensure that we all paid some fair share according to the the, the benefits provided by the community. So uh, uh, Chris Martin from the Tenants Union of New South Wales, do you see the No Land Tax Party um, continuing on and appearing at the next state election? Often with these minor parties, they, they start off and uh, attain a bit of a, a footage in people consciousness and then at the second election that's where they uh, succeed and get a candidate into parliament with some of the uh, wash up from Peter Jones's efforts and the fact that uh, hundreds of uh, electioneers who were told to who were enticed to come and hand out no land tax leaflets wearing bright yellow vests they haven't been paid uh, all sorts of fallout is going on or what are you hearing on the ground up there as to whether this the party of self-interest will continue on? Uh, I don't know if those payments have been made yet. There, there were a, a lot of angry people who had turned up to push the how-to-vote cards um, and who land tax had promised $30 an hour for their, their labour and um, they, they weren't paid, uh, at least to begin with, and then there were some emails promising payment uh, later. So that might be one of the when when you talk about the the place that these sorts of parties find in the consciousness of people um that that might be that might be what they're remembered for or it, it could be their um the the, the the dishonest way they they presented themselves as, as a grassroots campaign with their um with their stock photos on their website we'd like to think that by the time the next election comes around there'll be people who are you know, more interested and more educated about um, about the the policies that they represent and about the alternative policy agenda of organisations like the Tenants Union and ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Service, has got a, a, an affordable housing uh, agenda out uh, in the last few weeks and it calls for broad-based land taxes. Hopefully when people think of no land tax as well as the shenanigans and the dishonesty and the the controversies of the present campaign that they'll also see that what the real interests involved are and and that is uh, it's a competition between the agenda of large property owners uh, who make money through unearned gains in 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 land values or it's the the reform agenda of so many other sectors in society who are calling for a broad-based land tax because it's a, a better way of taxing, it's a more efficient way of taxing, it puts land to its most productive use and it makes housing more affordable. Excellent, Chris. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on The Renegade Economist. You're welcome. No worries. See you, Carl. Good day, Carl. And there we have Chris Martin, Senior Policy Advisor at the Tenants Union of New South Wales. Check out his work at tunswblog.blogspot.com.au. That's his brown couch blog for the Tenants Union. So uh, fantastic to have that analysis. Luckily, the Animal, Animal Justice Party beat them on about the fourth round of preferences, beat the No Land Tax Party for the 21st and last seat at the New South Wales uh, Upper House election. So it was very, very close. It was a razor edge. So thankfully, all of that money 
all of that deception didn't pay off for uh, these one uh, percenters trying to uh, dodge paying the only tax they can't avoid. So uh, thanks very much for listening to The Renegade Economist. You're on 3CR, the home of alternative thinking. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Wasting time in the unemployment lines. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof every fourth Wednesday of the month. We advocate for affordable, secure and appropriate housing. So listen up every fourth Wednesday from 6 to 6.30 on 3CR 855 on your AM dial.